I'm walking all alone down my yellow brick road and I stomp to the beat of my own drum. Got my pockets full of dreams and they're busting at the seams Going boom, boom, boom to my own song Welcome to Stacked Keys Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stackhouse. This is a podcast to feature women who are impressive in the work world or in raising a family or who have hobbies that make us all feel encouraged. Want to hear what makes these women passionate to get up in the morning? Or what maybe they wish they'd known a little bit earlier in their lives? Grab your keys and stomp to your own drum. All I gotta do is count one, two, three. To my own drum. Whatever you do, it ain't nothing on me. Cause I'm doing my thing and I hold the key to all my wants. Today I'm excited to welcome guest Emmy Miller. I can't wait to find out about Emmy and get kind of her story and her take on life uh, in the world and in jiu-jitsu. Welcome Emmy. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here today. (laughs) I'm excited. Let's jump right in. Emmy, if somebody was going to introduce you, how would they know you both professionally and personally? Definitely uh, through my work in the jiu-jitsu community, and I've definitely been an advocate for women training in jiu-jitsu. I also help run a meme page. Uh, We also have some clothing, twist and tap here. I'm rocking my shirt today, Uh, as well as I teach at 10th Planet Chino Hills, and I train a lot at a lot of the different 10th Planet gyms here in Southern California. Okay. Wow, you've got a lot going. All right, how did you get started? What made you walk into the doors of a jiu-jitsu gym? Uh, so I was actually completing a like high-end personal assistant job in uh, Hollywood. And when I moved back to Orange County, I happened to get started at a UFC gym doing boxing. And it just so happened that Jeff Willingham, the black belt that I started under, was like, hey, you should really try the jiu-jitsu program. And it's kind of funny because when I look back now, I wouldn't join in the sparring for at least like the first two weeks. I was so kind of overwhelmed by the whole thing. Uh, But once I really got bit by the jujitsu bug, I just dove in headfirst and started competing a lot and eventually was able to make uh, my life around it and teach and have clients and do seminars and stuff like that. So tell me what you do professionally with it and, um, and, we'll kind of dive into your um, t-shirt and, and, and that aspect, but what, what professionally do, do you do? So I teach at 10th Planet Chino Hills. Uh, I also compete at a pro level uh, as well as have uh, personal training clients that do come to me specifically for jujitsu. Okay. So teaching is a whole lot different than competing. Yes. So what would you say would be the strengths for both and to be able to do both? Uh, So they say those who teach uh, learn twice. So I really enjoy when I'm looking at jujitsu from a more beginner's perspective uh, to help our newer people understand the what, when, and why that comes in with this martial arts skill. Did you envision yourself doing that? 
Um, I mean, I guess not originally. Like, I kind of got some feedback from some friends that knew me when I was much younger that they thought it was kind of crazy when I first started jujitsu. But um, it's really helped me in my life. I feel like jujitsu is kind of a catalyst for transformation. Uh, we just happen to do it through practicing a martial arts skill. You know, I hear that a lot that um, jujitsu affects or spills over into every aspect of your life. So transformation, what, what would you be transforming? Uh, I feel like it's kind of up to you, you know what I mean? Because uh, it's like, what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of friend do you want to be? What kind of, you know, family member do you want to be? It's really interesting how the discipline and the um, just persistence that it takes to get good at jujitsu, like you said, does spill over to a lot of aspects in your life. It takes a lot of time. It does take a lot of time. Yes, it does. <laughs> How do you find time away from the gym or do you? Um, I guess I'm kind of crazy because like even at White Belt, I set up my life around me being able to train. Uh, I knew it was something that was going to be a big deal for me personally. So I just made the sacrifices in order to uh, be able to train and have the money for it and stuff like that. So you in the beginning, you worked outside the gym. Yeah. In the beginning, I actually uh, got a job driving Uber and I would mainly work on the weekends so I could be at the gym most of the time during the week. Um, after that, I ended up working like a few different part-time jobs uh, before being able to do my personal training business. Yeah. How do you launch into personal training? Uh, so I originally had randomly gotten hired at like a boot camp type of place. Uh, they didn't really give me any instruction. They were just like, oh, you work out, like, go figure it out, get in there. Um, <laughs> definitely trial by fire. Um, I want to say I was only there for about six months. And then uh, I decided to go through the NASM certification course so that I could at least have a certificate and like structure of backing for when I'm teaching and stuff like that. Any regrets in going that route? No, I feel like um, my journey has been perfect for me and I definitely trust it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Trusting your, your journey. Uh, you're, you're young. And so, or in, in my eyes, you're very young. And so <laughs> to trust your journey, that's a little bit not the norm for, for people your age. I mean, they're putting something out there and then sometimes jerking it back a little bit too soon. So is there something that made you trust your journey? Um, I just saw how well it works for me, like as a person and how I was able to learn, um, new skills and really be like accountable for myself. And I mean, the first couple of years, I'd be lying if I didn't say my mom was like, hey, what are you doing? Like, get a normal job. You know, this is kind of crazy. But um, now I think she sees and I definitely see like how positive uh, the impact of jujitsu has been on my life. And, and you don't have your typical elevator speech. So what would your little speech when somebody says, hi, Emmy, what do you do? Uh, I usually say I do a lot of things <laughs> and I kind of round it up to either I'm a jujitsu instructor or I'm a personal trainer. Um, 
But in this day and age, you know, if you really want to get ahead, I feel like there's a lot of things that you have to make happen. It's not always like just show up to a nine to five and kind of call it a day. I really manage my time a lot. I uh, I live by my day planner. It's right here next to me. I swear by this guy. I don't know. I just try to really, like I said, be accountable for myself as a person and uh, not make excuses and not try to justify myself as a victim. Just show up and be responsible and do the work. Yeah. Wow. So that was pretty thick day planner. And then today, a lot of people do everything electronically. So you're a paper person as well? Yes, I like doing it on paper. I like seeing it uh, in front of me. I don't necessarily want my phone going off with a lot of notifications having to do with schedule. Um, I feel like that's a little like clutter in my mind. Uh, I definitely prefer having the paper version. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I kind of like to have both, but more, I'm more heavily rely on, on my planner, but, um, have you lost it sometime? And does that set you up for a really bad day? Um, I've never lost my, my planner, thank goodness. Um, but sometimes little things, you know, might get, uh, written down incorrectly or, you know, little things can go sideways, but, um, I feel like I just refer back to it every morning and every night. So I always have an idea of what's going to be happening ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what grounds you as a person? What grounds me? Um, I do a lot of meditation. Uh, meditation is a big, big thing in my life. I really like the, uh, Abraham Hicks teachings that's usually presented through Esther Hicks. Um, I feel like I have a good family that really supports me and loves me. So that keeps me grounded. And I really appreciate um, my jujitsu coaches and my teammates and all my friends. So you surround yourself, um, but you also inner reflect. Yes. Um, what would you, what would you tell that 18 year old Emmy that's coming or that she needs to prepare for, or the people that she needs to surround herself with? Um, I would definitely tell her to get it together (laughs) and like choose to do the hard things and not stray away from tasks or events that make us uncomfortable, but just get practice in, um, facing adversity head on. What's one of the hardest things you have faced? Uh, definitely my fiance passing last year. Oh yeah. That was hard, but you kind of went hand in hand with him and, um, and you were right back out there. (laughs) Yeah, it took, it took me a little while. I took, um, like six months off of competing, uh, but I did get back out and I felt like it definitely honored his memory. Oh yeah. 1000%. Um, so that is definitely the, the hardest, but what do you think prepared you for that? I mean, y'all pretty much lived pretty, pretty fast, pretty hard doing a lot of exciting things. Mm -hmm. You think that kind of gives you a little bit to hang on to now? Um, I don't know if anything really prepared me for it, but his team at 10th Planet Bethlehem really stepped up and they were incredibly supportive. Um, So I feel like that was a big part of me being able to deal with that situation in a healthy way. Yeah. What would you tell somebody like me to 
that to be able to help somebody that finds themselves in a, a situation where their life is just spinning like that and no, you don't have any decision making or, or ability to change it. What should I do to be helpful? Um, I feel like it's just showing up for that person. Uh, obviously that individual wants to ha- help themselves. You can't really help someone who doesn't want to help themselves, but you can definitely give them uh, feedback or structure or guidance or tools to help them be able to make those choices on their own. Yeah. That's, you know, a lot of times we're just, I don't know, we come from the, I come from the Southern Baptist, take them something to eat. That's going to fix it all. <laughs> and sometimes that just isn't the, the thing. It's the, the being, being present. Um, so is this, did you have the shirt um, apparel company? Did you, were you doing that before last year or? Yes. Um, okay. So yeah. talk to me about that. How'd you get into that? And I like the shirt. How do you describe <laughs> it? Because everybody's not visual on, on this podcast. So tell me about the shirt. Uh, so the one that I'm wearing today, uh, it says twist and tap, which is the name of our brand. And then it has like a little bomb guy on it, <laughs> uh, kind of reminiscent of like the, uh, world war II bombers and how they had the paintings on the fronts of the paint uh, of the planes. Yeah. Uh, and I actually got involved with this company cause a very good friend of mine, um, kind of just randomly started it and was like, Hey, can you run this for us? So I ended up setting up a Etsy site and, um, we have four main designs from the first run and, uh, those are all up and available and stuff. So you are an entrepreneur at heart. Yes, it's definitely a passion of mine. I'm involved in you know quite a few projects and I really enjoy, um, working on it and kind of creating something out of nothing. All right. Where did twist and tap come from? Uh, my business partner actually came up with the name twist and tap. I'm not sure exactly where he got it from, but I feel like it's pretty catchy. So it's been, it is. Well. yeah, it is catchy. And it also, I mean, it plays of course, right into the sport. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. When you're setting up a business and you're running the, the, business side of it, the money side of it. Is that just something you're good at? Or did you have to go out and figure those aspects out? I mean, I'm a creative. So if you ask me to do something financial, you're really not going to wind up happy. So, so <laughs> how, how do you have that whole package? Um, uh, I guess at first it was kind of trial and error. Uh, but one of the more recent things that I've gotten involved with is called Mixed Martial Arts Mavens. And it's going to be a women's self-defense program. Uh, and the way that we were able to get clarity on how to start that nonprofit nonprofit was actually through the SBDC, which they help uh, small businesses get started. And there's quite a few advisors that give you a lot of uh, feedback on like which business entity to go through and all the paperwork that needs to be filled out at what times. So I guess basically I had um, solid mentors and good feedback from people who are already experienced in what we were trying to do. Yeah. You just mentioned mentors. Um, have you always looked for mentors? Do they find you? Give me your take on mentors. Mainly they've found me. Um, like I did mention Jeff Willingham, uh, the black belt that I started under with jujitsu, his counterpart for the gi program was Doyle Teal and Doyle Teal was a big mentor for me when I was first starting and kind of made me realize that there was a lot more that I could be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I jumped away from the, um, the, 
organization that, that you're starting. Um, and I, I should have written it down. Tell me the name of it again. Mixed Martial Arts Mavens. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> and what exactly is going to be the target target and the, the purpose? Uh, so the target is to get abused women free martial arts training, uh, as well as offering self-defense skills um, for nominal prices for regular women as well. Wow. All right. What turned you on to that? Why, why did that become a, a passion or a project for you? Um, so that actually kind of came to me as well. Uh, the lady that had the original idea for that, her name was Amber. She reached out to me on Instagram and kind of explained what she was trying to do. And it really just kind of struck a chord with my heart. And I decided that I wanted to be involved and we've been working as partners on it, uh, to move forward since. Yeah. Um, and what will you do? Will you, um, kind of target the centers that the, the, the women go to or, Will you, how would you attract them? How will you bring them in to get this? Um, yeah, I think we could go through some of the centers. We're definitely going to be running a few social media campaigns, but I feel like the main difference in what we're trying to do and what's available with a lot of the women's self-defense programs is that it'll be a lot longer and more extensive. It seems to me from what I've seen, a lot of these programs are like, you know, a couple hours or a couple hours for a couple days. And after uh, learning jujitsu and understanding that repetition is really such a huge part of that muscle memory so that in the moment when you have that fight or flight response, you're able to do these moves and keep yourself safe. Yeah. That that's one thing that I wondered too, is if you just, if you show me something one time, I might go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the actual moment, could I, I, I'm not sure because then you've got all the other, uh, especially in a situation where there's been abuse and you're, you've got all those fear factors that jump up and, and are crippling, I would think. Um, so do you, how can you find the time to devote yourself to so many projects? That day plan. And it's really about, yeah, managing your time and uh, being deliberate about how you're spending it. Yeah, because each one of them takes a significant amount of time. Definitely. Yeah. So managing the time, having, you know, good partners that you can trust and clearly outlining who's doing what, um, you know, I like it. So I'm going to make the time for it. Yeah. Do you think that your original career was in that kind of fast pace and you either do it right or it a disaster could occur. Is that kind of what gives you kind of the momentum? Uh, yeah, definitely. Actually my original career, I got a degree in audio engineering and I worked in studios in Hollywood for a couple of years. So you had to get it right on the spot or else you were going to look dumb and get yelled at <laughs> <laughs> and cost a lot of money. And cost money. Yep. Yeah, that's that's often a motivator to to um, get it right. So you're still using some of those skills. I mean, that skill set transferred into these jobs, but the the hard set skills, are you still using those with the audio world as it's exploded? I mean, not really. I'm, I'm still kind of using like um, the creative side to come up with concepts and ideas and um, how to implement them and stuff like that. But I haven't done anything in music in quite a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so I hear all the work and I hear all the 
time that you're committed to, what's your off time fun? So I have a really cute dog and we go to the dog beach. I live here in California. So we'll go over to Huntington uh, dog beach and just kind of hang out. Um, during the week, it does get pretty hectic, but uh, every Wednesday I take an online Zoom class <laughs> uh, for yoga. My stepmom ran a yoga business, um, but she's currently living with my dad in Japan. So that's all online now. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's still an active, uh, I mean, you're, you're still very engaged in, in your hobbies. I mean, they're not, you don't have anything passive. Not really, no. Um, like on the weekends, I don't really go out or like do a lot of social stuff or, you know, like on a Friday night, the last place you're going to find me is at a bar. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Now you, you still compete. Yes. What's competition like for you? And what do people know you're going to pull on them? Um, so I'm pretty known as being a leg locker. I definitely really tried to pull off a leg lock in my last super fight. Um, didn't quite get it, but I was able to get uh, an arm bar in overtime. So that was pretty cool. And I just want to test myself and continue growing and doing as much as I can in the sport. What's your mindset like on fight day or fight or you go into fight camp or whatever? What what's your mindset? Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because with this last competition, I really turned a corner when it comes to mindset. I don't know if it was like experiencing so much loss with my fiance passing. It's kind of like once you've lived your worst nightmare, stepping on the big stage really isn't a big deal. Oh, wow. I just keep thinking about what I do want to happen and like what I can control, which is my performance and how I show up. That's that is big. I mean, and I've heard people say that a little bit too, of once they've done something really, um, you know, whether it's taken them completely outside their comfort zone or the worst thing ever, what else can happen? So there's this empowering that happens in jujitsu. So do you see that? Do you see it in practice or just in competition? Well, they say that competition is like 50 practices at once. So you kind of get to see exactly what you really know or don't know or, you know, that kind of vibe. Um, so, yeah, for me, I kind of just see competition as like the proving ground. I get to see exactly what I know and what I need to work on. Yeah. And what have you found that is your man I need to work on? Um. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I feel like my attacks from close guard are like a little bit lacking. So that's definitely something that I'm working on. Um, but I've been doing this for, you know, almost seven years now and I'm a brown belt. So I feel like a lot of the initial work has already been done. It's just about, you know, like fine polishing those skills. Yeah. It's the thousand time, thousandth time of doing something. Yeah. Um, so the belting process, was that something you had in your mind and, and you wanted to achieve or did you just chill and let, and let it happen? Uh, from white to blue belt, I was definitely very focused on wanting to get my blue belt. Um, Jeff and Doyle kind of had me wait a little bit. I didn't get my blue belt until two years in. And I kind of just got to a point where I didn't care. I decided that I'd be training no matter what color my belt was. 
Um, and then their program that they were leading kind of dismembered and wasn't really uh, happening at the time. So I bounced around a few schools trying to find a good fit. Uh, and then I ended up at GF Team Orange, where I got my purple belt about a year and a half later, and then my brown belt about a year and a half later after that. Wow. I mean, that I know that took a lot of time and dedication, but that's fairly quick, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, now that I'm back at 10th Planet, I'm sure I'll be hanging out at Brown for, you know, at least a little while. I've already been here for a year, but my plan is just to do my best, work really hard, show up and compete and win. And eventually that belt will turn black. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've heard the when you really stop thinking about it is when you start making strides towards achieving it. Definitely. Especially from the brown to, to the black. Yeah. Um, so what kind of egos do you see um, on the mat, both your own and, and other people? Does ego seem to be something that crops up? Definitely. Um, especially when it comes to men and how they train with and speak to women. Uh, it's kind of funny because I'll have lower belt dudes trying to explain some very simple concepts to me. But I always try to just be like real calm and gracious and let them say whatever they want to say, because I feel like with my own ego, it's the second you think you know everything or you don't take the opportunities to learn from anyone that you really stop growing. And that's true just about in anything, Um, any career or any anything you stop listening and learning. Um, So. In your area, there are. Uh, more women on the mat than probably are in Alabama where I am. So do you find that, do you find that there are plenty of women to work with and, and choose to um, roll with or, or is it still a deficit? It's still definitely a deficit. Um, That was one of the main things that attracted me to GF team was At that time, they had a lot of female black belts on the mat. Um, But when COVID happened and stuff like that, a lot of their visas had issues. And I was the only female on the mat for quite a while. And it's pretty common that I don't really have anyone my size and rank to spar with. So you kind of just get used to fighting the men. Well, and then when you go to competition, is that a plus or a minus for you? I feel like it kind of depends on the day. Um, like this last one, I felt like I had such a hard camp and I had prepared so well that it wasn't really a big deal the day of the event. Um, you know, I wasn't really out of breath. I, I felt like I was able to implement my game pretty well. Um, sometimes, you know, women will have a different reaction than most men would, but it's just up to you to stay present and in the moment and have um you know, you be able to implement your game. Everybody's game is different. Yes. And do you pretty much know once you've been around somebody, what their game is? Yeah. I think you can at least get like a glimpse of what the way they like to play is for sure. Yeah. But when you go out in competition, sometimes you, don't even know who the person is. I mean, on the general you do because it's kind of, the community is relatively small, isn't it? 
It is. Yeah, it is. Um, I definitely do better when I don't pay attention to my opponent's game and just think about my game. I know some people like to study film and strategize and have specific uh, options for that opponent. But uh, like I said, I do better when I just focus on my game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and then um, what are your what are your main elements to your game and where do you want it to ultimately, ultimately land you? What's your, what's your top goal? Um, I definitely feel like I do a lot of heavy top pressure. That's, <laughs> that's definitely my uh, comfort, comfort zone. Uh, from the bottom, I throw up a lot of leg locks and the transition, you know, attacking from head, arms, legs, just keep fluidly attacking all parts of the body. Um, as far as my main goals, uh, I want to be a serious Nogi competitor. I would love to do an event like EBI. Um, I'm most likely going to be doing trials, uh, for ADCC West coast trials this year. And, um, I just want to be one of the best Nogi competitors that I can be in, in your competition and, and what you're headed for, um, You've seen a lot, both for yourself personally, and then, you know, when you and, and Zach were together, he had a pretty strong game and a lot of competition. So, but I don't know if you want to go down this road a little bit, but um, but in in both of your games and your competition lives, how did that work as a, a couple? Um, and being um, in different places and just the constant move. So I feel like we really supported each other. It was one of the first times that I had a partner that was, you know, a really active competitor. And I felt like it was better because he really understood like the sacrifice and time that it took to put in to get where we wanted to go. And uh, I felt pretty fortunate because I got to coach him on the last event that he was able to do. And um, I mean, it worked really well for us. Um, I flew out as much as I could and, you know, he came out here and we just made the best of it. And honestly, I really loved every part of it. Yeah. How'd you guys meet? <laughs> so he was out here because uh, he was trying to do an EBI qualifier, but the date got moved last minute when he was already out here and he happened to be at the 10th Planet Orange open mat. And I just happened to see him that day. And there it started. Yeah. <laughs> uh well, so how do you bring your best self to a relationship? I mean, I didn't know him and, and I didn't know you, but I saw y'all kind of via social media. Um, so how do you bring your best self to a relationship? Because from the outside in, it looked like y'all did. Um, I think we were really good about uh, communicating to each other, like, what was working, what wasn't working. And we both just genuinely loved each other so much. We were willing to make whatever we needed to happen. Yeah. So it's that communication. Definitely. You know, a lot of times I've been talking to, to women about communication and communicating on the mat is so vital, but it seems that that same communication technique can go off the mat. Do you see that? Yeah, definitely. I feel like uh, communication is, you know, vital to any type of relationship, whether it's a romantic one, a friendly one, a business one, an acquaintance one. If you're not able to properly get across your message, you know, how will you really be understood? Yeah. 
and on the mat, you're communicating non-verbally, but then do you also believe in the verbal communication and letting people know your, your sparring partners, what you need? Oh yeah, definitely. Like, uh, this last camp towards the end, I was like very beat up and there was a week where I felt pretty fragile and I had to communicate to my sparring partners, like, Hey, this is injured. This is injured. I need to be real chill. Um, and if they don't respect that or are trying to go for submissions to feed their own ego, then that just gives me the feedback and education that they're not a safe training partner and to just not choose to train with them for that time. Are you ever tempted to just walk off and say, God, I'm so beat up. I'm so done. Oh, totally. There's, there's been many camps where I just like burst into tears and left, you know what I mean? But it's up to me to come back apologize to my training partners and really show up as the person that I want to be, not necessarily as the person who's, you know, sad or tired or broken in that moment. Oh, that is golden. Show up as the person that you want to be. I mean, we can take that and apply that everywhere. Definitely. Um, Because I doubt any of us are consistently that person. Um, So that that's pretty, pretty good. So um, I've been talking in this past week to some ladies about self-talk and, and one of them um, talked about, you know, not really knowing what self-talk was and, and, and then she started identifying it. So do you relate to self-talk and do you utilize that tool? Yeah, definitely. Um, I got really lucky and I was able to do like a manifestation self-help workshop when I was much, much, much younger called WorldWorks which uh, definitely set up my understanding of how self-talk really um, dictates a lot of things that come into your reality. And I was actually really fortunate that over the weekend, I got to do a seminar by um, Eric, the gentleman, who has a really, really, really good breakdown on this, basically uh, stating how there's like this little triangle, right? And at the top of the triangle is your target. Uh, One of the other points of the triangle is your plan. And the final point of the triangle is your story. So whatever story you're telling yourself about whether you can or can't hit that target. Oh, wow. I yeah. like that. That's a very good visual. It was um, honestly so amazing. I, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so you've applied that probably more than once? Yeah, definitely. Like, I think at the lower ranks, it was easy for me to fall into negative self-talk or tell myself stories of why I wasn't good enough or why the target was too difficult. But um, like I said, the experience of being in the the hospital with Zach for a month, it kind of uh, reframed how I see a lot of things and um, kind of forced like a lot of emotional maturity for me to grow and the way I look at people, situations, myself, everything like that. Why would the hospital um, do that? Because it was a really hard situation that no one had any control over. Uh, The only thing I could control was myself, my reaction and how I was showing up for him. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of confusion of what was happening and searching for answers that there weren't any. Yeah, man, his, his symptoms got really severe, really quick. And, um, I knew something was like detrimentally wrong with him. Uh, unfortunately the first hospital in Texas just wasn't able to find it. Mm -mm. He had geoblastoma, right? He had a brain tumor or no. Uh, so he had a very specific type of brain cancer. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and, and it was fast and aggressive and yes, it was um, very fast. It was very aggressive. Um, once he got home to Pennsylvania, I want to say he was only there for about two weeks before, um, the hemorrhagic stroke happened. And that's when everything went real downhill real quick. Yeah. Yeah. You had to find some strength because whether you wanted to show up and be in the moment you had to. Yes. So, so do you think that jujitsu had helped you be able to really grab in and pull that from yourself? Yeah. I think it kind of gave me um, the skills and the experience of knowing that I was going to have to be uncomfortable for a while and that we were just going to have to write it out and show up and do what was best for him. Yeah. Wow. That's significant. And that, that um, shows a tremendous amount of maturity. So um, we talked a little bit ago about um, mentors. You made a mention of of mentors. Um, Have you searched out mentors as you've been going along life or have they found you and they kind of found me and just showed up when I needed them. You know, I think that's like part of me kind of trusting my journey. I get exactly what I need exactly when I need it. Yeah. What about being a mentor? Do you, do you want to lend yourself towards that? Yes, definitely. Um, I feel like I'm gaining the experience um, and the knowledge to be able to give that feedback to people in the very near future. Um, Teaching kind of gives you the platform to give people, um, that sort of feedback and structure and, and stuff like that. So it's kind of like me getting practice, but I'm doing it in a context of this is how you do an arm bar, or this is how you do a triangle. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's goes back to that core of teaching. Um, so have you been good at setting boundaries for yourself? I feel like I'm definitely getting better at setting boundaries. Um, obviously setting boundaries has a lot to do with communication and I feel it's, it's like a strong suit of mine and it's a a skill that I've really been uh, honing and practicing recently. It, there's just this thread through you of the communication, the structure, the schedule. Um, (laughs) Have you, have you always been disciplined? No, definitely not. When I was younger, I was, kind of a wild child and, um, had my own issues that I had to work through. And it's only through experience that we can really, uh, get across to other people, how a lot of this works. And I feel like a big part of being a leader is by doing it through example. Yeah. So your leadership style is example. Yes. Leading from the front. Okay. So you've obviously studied that and thought through what your leadership style is. Um, where'd you come up with that through bad leaders through really good, or where did you actually develop your leadership style? Probably a combination of both, you know, having, uh, some crappy bosses over the years, uh, seeing how certain, uh, jujitsu instructors are running their gym, what's working, what isn't working, who's being successful, who's not being successful and just kind of, uh, looking at all from a big picture and assessing it on my own. Yeah. And what's your ultimate goal? Where do you see yourself in a good 20 years? Not um, that that would be the ultimate, but it's further <laughs> down the road. 
I definitely, uh, it's kind of funny because one of the last, uh, normal, normal job interviews that I had, my, my manager, uh, the hiring manager was asking me a very similar question. And I basically just said that I wanted to be a world champion, black belt, business owner, mother, and wife. That's not asking for much. (laughs) Well, you're well on the road to, to those things. And if, if it's true that whatever we experiences we have, they make us a stronger person. You're certainly a, a strong one headed that direction. Definitely. So, so we should watch for you. Um, <laughs> I'm not real sure. I mean, we've, we've jumped all over the place on a, on a couple of different things. Is there something that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we do cover? Um. I guess recently in the last year, I've just seen a lot of um, women upper belts in jujitsu surviving some sort of abuse to get to where they're at. So that's kind of a recent thing for me that's been brought to my attention that I really want to speak about and figure out how to change. Okay. And what are your thoughts on that? How, How do you change something like that? Um, it's definitely going to be a part of the women sticking together, um, and voicing their experiences, even if they're negative ones and just really being the change that we want to see, uh, in jujitsu. Yeah. So is that within jujitsu that they've had bad experiences or their, their life brings those experiences into the gym? I mean, I'm sure that's like case by case, um, probably goes both ways, but it's just kind of crazy to me, um, how a lot of, you know, female brown and black belts endure either physical, emotional, or sexual abuse in their jujitsu journey. When we're preaching this sport as something that's for everyone. And it was really brought to light last year with the, uh, fight sport situation and, um, all those allegations that were made public. Yeah. Well, I think anytime people start talking, um, there comes some strength, but there comes some hard work. Definitely. um, To follow that. So, um, so you got a plan to address that? Don't really have a plan yet, but I'm hoping that maybe through the mixed martial arts mavens. um, Yeah. You know, maybe through that we can get it done or maybe it'll be a a separate project. I'm not entirely sure yet, but I definitely think that it needs to be uh, spoken about. And if jujitsu really is a place for everyone, then we need to make sure that it is inclusive and that the women are getting a chance to lead. They're being heard and um, that it's, you know, genuinely a a safe space for everyone. Yeah, I was talking to a group yesterday and they were talking about those that had gone before them. Mm-hmm. And the and that one of the things that they're excited about is um, what's coming for the newer um, women that are coming in, you know, that are you're all kind of building on one another. But there might need to be some cleaning out at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, um, this has been great. This has been great. <laughs> I really appreciate it. If you had a superpower, you could have it for 24 hours. You can use it personally or professionally. How would you use it? What would it be? And why would you choose it? I'm not sure what I would choose, but I would definitely want some sort of skill that would bring about the most good in that 24 hour period. 
There you go. <laughs> well, you'll put it in your planner and get it done, I'm sure. Exactly. Um, so, Emmy, how do people follow you? How do they get your shirts? Um, how do they just be a part of, um, of your story? Uh, so I'm on Instagram. You can find me at Nogi underscore Chun Li. That's my tag. Uh, all of the businesses are linked in my bio and I really appreciate all the support. Awesome. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. I really appreciated speaking with you and getting to be on this podcast. Find Stacked Keys Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast listen. You'll laugh out loud, you'll cry a little, you'll find yourself encouraged. Join us for casual conversation that leads itself based on where we take it, from family, to philosophy, to work, to meal prep, to beautifully surviving life. And hey, if I could ask a big favor of you, go to iTunes and give us a five rating. The more people who rate us, the more we get this podcast out there. Thanks. I appreciate it.